Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Cancer Fight Podcast, recorded in Louisville, Kentucky, and produced by the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Cancer Fight aims to highlight the stories of fighters and survivors of all forms of cancer, as well as educate the public about prevention and awareness. I'm your host, Dr. Whitney Jones, a gastroenterologist and founder of the Colon Cancer Prevention Project. Welcome to Cancer Fight. Today, we are visiting with Meredith Pothast, a colon cancer survivor, an advocate for colon cancer awareness and prevention, and she's kind enough today to share her story with us today on Cancer Fight. Meredith, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, doctor. Doctor, that's pretty formal there. You can call me Whitney, please. Okay. (laughs) Well, Meredith, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you came from. You're not a Southern native. So tell us a little bit about who you were and what's going on, who you are, and then later on we'll talk about your cancer fight. Sure. Um, So I feel like my story usually starts with the fact that my dad um, was a captain in the Navy. So we, I was a Navy brat and we moved around my whole life. Um, I was born in Monterey, California and um, have been all over the U S with my, due to my dad's job. Um, So I moved with my husband from Arlington, Virginia to um, Louisville, Kentucky about five years ago. And that's kind of where I usually start my story here in Louisville. Um, We were two 25 year olds that were married about two years and took the trek to leave our family and friends right outside the DC area to um, for a career opportunity here in Louisville. So we, we made the move, we did the, the 10 hour drive and, um, and started a life here. And we absolutely love Louisville. Um, we both started to thrive in our careers and um, had just a sweet little family with our little black pug, Daisy. And, um, and then about three years after moving here is when I um, had a colonoscopy and our, our entire world turned upside down. Now, now you and your husband were high school sweethearts, as I understand, right? Uh, <laughs> and then even yeah. made a long, long distance college relationship work. Tell us, tell us uh, how that works in the new world. Oh my gosh. Um, I feel like it'd probably be different nowadays, but yeah, we met in high school in Arlington, Virginia. Um, we met at a high school party and, um, just started, we hit it off and started dating and we went off to two different colleges um, and dated through, through those years and then moved back to the Arlington, Virginia area after college and got married in Alexandria, Virginia um, in 2014. Um, but no, it was definitely, I'd have to say, I guess, fun. I don't, <laughs> you, it was nice that um, truly we, could grow independently, but also together. I think that's where a lot of um, long distance relationships maybe fail is it's hard. So um, it was nice that we could keep it going. And obviously we're meant to be. So I'm glad we then um, got married and started this life together. And, and, and you said career opportunity brought you to Louisville. You've been all around the world. You've lived in Rhode Island and Northern Virginia, Arlington area. 
what was the, the, the hook? Was it your career or your husband's career or a little bit of both? Um, it was my husband, Jack's career. He is in insurance sales and, um, it's actually a family run company called foundation insurance group. And, um, we had the opportunity to open an office here in Louisville. So Jack took Jack and myself, we took on that um, opportunity and we were really excited to grow the, grow the family business um, here in Kentucky. So we, yeah. So living the ideal life, new mm -hmm. place. And then in March of 2018, you began your cancer fight. Tell us about that. Um, I'd have, I was 28 years old, um, in 2018. So I'd have to say I probably began to really experience symptoms that I at least were, um, present enough for me to recall when I was 27 in about the summer of 2017 is usually when I is where I start my story. Um, that's when I really began to have a lot of symptoms and, um, it was probably about six to eight months when I just kind of kept living through those symptoms. Um, I was extremely constipated. I was fatigued. I had lower back pain. I actually started seeing a chiropractor. Um, I had a little bit of, um, bleeding in my stool, but not much for me to be concerned about. Um, but I do recall about two different times where I should have maybe, um, made, felt that was a little more serious than I had. Um, but mostly bloating, abdominal pain. I started having weight loss. Um, so that was through the summer and fall of 2017 and, um, and just obviously venting to friends and family about my pain. I was having with the abdominal pain, um, rectal pain as well. And I remember I was working, I was in, um, working full time as an interior designer. And I just remember adding more cushioning to my chair at my desk. The longer I sat, I just would be like, Oh, now I have a butt cushion and now I have a back support. Um, my chair just must be, you know, not the proper chair for someone that needs to sit for so many hours in a day. Um, and then eventually I started standing. I, it actually hurts so bad to sit for hours at a time at my desk um, that I would just stand at my desk and type. Um, I should have <laughs> listened to my body, but I didn't know to yet. So yeah, just going in with a busy life and ignoring those symptoms for a few months. Um, it was when I finally saw family in February of 2018 because um, unfortunately my grandmother had passed away. So Jack and I hopped on a flight, went up to um, Massachusetts and for my grandmother's funeral. And that's when my family saw me and they, were, they looked at me and said, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. Um, they had obviously had known I was complaining um, over the phone to them or venting to them, letting them know the different pain I was having. But um, it was definitely then when my mom, who is a nurse and she was definitely taking in consideration the different things I was telling her over the months but she looked at me and said, you need to go see your doctor. Um, and I did when I got back to Louisville and he actually prescribed me as chronically constipated and gave me a pill um, to ch change that. Um, I was not in favor of that, but I had tried it and um, nothing changed obviously. So after that, my mom said, you need to demand a colonoscopy right away. Um, she ended up 
realizing something obviously was not right. Um, which she did not admit that to me until after. She said, oh, I felt there would be something there. Um, but she, um, so thank goodness that she kind of pushed me in that direction. So by March 2018, I had my colonoscopy scheduled. Um, and the day of the procedure, they ended up telling me that um, they could actually only go about 10% of, of the procedure um, because of the five centimeter mass that I had in my rectum. And um, they just told my husband, we're shocked. Meredith has not had a bowel obstruction yet. And um, we need to get going on shrinking this tumor and get going with radiation and chemo. Um, so <laughs> obviously I, that's probably the busiest or the most, um, challenging week I've ever had. And it's a blur to me now. So many doctor's appointments, so many different, um, meetings to get started with chemo. Um, but immediately they did say, Hey, first step is go talk to a, um, fertility specialist, try to say, try to save embryo if you can. Um, and so we did go to an appointment. That was one of our first appointments, but it actually, we found out the process was going to take about four weeks or so. And my doctors looked at my husband and said, Meredith doesn't have that. Um, we want you guys to get going immediately. So we kind of just put that aside, believed God would give us a family one day if that was our purpose and um, did not freeze any embryo. Um, and I immediately, the week later, started 25 rounds of radiation, pelvic, pelvic radiation and um, chemotherapy to start shrinking the tumor. So, so initially they ordered a CAT scan, I assume, after the colonoscopy and uh, you did not go uh, uh, originally to surgery, correct? Correct. Yes. They, um, my team of doctors, because of the size of my tumor, they really want needed to shrink it before I could proceed with surgery. So that's why I started with the five weeks of radiation and chemo, which was, um, kind of chemo, um, inducing the, the shrinkage, I guess is that's what you can say. Um, and then once that shrunk, it actually did after the, after 25 rounds of pelvic radiation, it shrunk from five centimeters to three centimeters. And then um, they were able to surgically remove the tumor in, um, at the end of May, 2018. All right. And then how have, uh, how, how have things been going since that time? Oh my gosh. This cancer, cancer life is a roller coaster. Um, a lot has happened since then. Um, after surgery, so I had, yep, so I had the um, colon resection surgery, May in 2018, removed the tumor, which was, was awesome. Um, that was a couple months of recovery. It was pretty, obviously the most invasive surgery I've ever had. Um, and then I began from June to October, I was on um, full Fox chemotherapy here in Louisville, and as well as um, hormone therapy, Lupron, 
which we were hoping because I did not freeze embryo, that that would pause my, um, my your, body. Your, your menstrual cycles, your, ovary, your ovulation issues, right. Exactly, pause all of that um, in hopes of saving some of my eggs. So the Lupron actually, um, we thought it would do that job, but um, through, through all the chemotherapy, but I ended up in um, October of 2019, which I'll explain, but once I got to that point is when they did say, um, I was, I'm in, I'm in menopause for life now. I actually, it was um, radiation and chemotherapy induced. So with that, I'm obviously um, gonna struggle with lifelong infertility um, from here on out. So after I finished chemo, so I'll jump back a little bit um, after surgery and I started that chemotherapy here in Louisville to, um, it was more preventative chemo by this point because we had, I was originally diagnosed with stage three um, colorectal cancer. And when they looked, went in and, re and removed my tumor, we were under the impression that the cancer had, was still, um, in its primary location. We did not believe it had moved at all, but I was diagnosed stage 3C, which a lot of people don't understand, but that means there were some cancer involvement in my lymph nodes. Um, so we hoped it had stopped there, but unfor and unfortunately it had not. But I went ahead and proceeded with the preventative chemo. My body actually did not tolerate very well. I only made it about halfway to the standard treatment of 12 chemotherapy rounds. Um, so by October 2009, no, I'm sorry, October 2018, I um, was then declared to have no evidence of disease. And um, it was a very exciting moment. I remember going out to eat with friends and, um, Jack and I planned a fun trip with each other just to celebrate. We actually ended up planning a trip from, for one year from that mark to do um, a Europe trip. And we went to Portugal together and that was to celebrate beating cancer. Um, well, unfortunately, it didn't stop there. Um, my oncologist continued to monitor a small nodule in my lung that they ended up finding because I am obviously getting, throughout this whole time, I'm getting CT scans and follow-ups and being monitored um, every few months. So that, that little nodule was not a big concern at all. It just sat there, it really didn't do anything until about April or May, 2019, when it ended up changing its shape a bit and then a second one showed up on the scan. So these are very, very tiny at this point. Um, I think they were about seven millimeters um, and did not grow much beyond that, seven or eight millimeters. Um, but those two little nodules were present, so we couldn't ignore them. Um, so that's when my oncologist looked, well, I'm sorry, first she wanted me to go check out um, with the infectious disease department because I didn't really understand, but Kentucky actually has a lot of um, histoplasmosis. Um, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so 
she said, you know what, this honestly could even be something from you being outside. You know, a lot of people in Kentucky probably have a little spots in their lungs because of that. And, um, just being out in the air and everything. So I did that for a few months, was on an antifungal medication for a few months, nothing changed, nothing showed. Um, so my oncologist here looked at me and said, go get a second opinion. Um, this is probably something more than I had thought. So with all of my family being up in the New England area, we went up to um, Boston to Dana-Farber and um, Brigham and Women's Hospital. And they have a phenomenal colorectal, young colorectal cancer department there, um, as well as obviously top world-renowned surgeons. So we, were, we felt comfortable to go up there and we met with a surgeon and he immediately said, from what he could see on the scan, as well as his radiologists, um, that it's cancer. And obviously we did not want to hear that. Um, I was still holding out hope that going up there, they would tell me, nope, it's not cancer. It's something else. You know, you're going to be fine. But um, no, they obviously told us the opposite of what I wanted to hear. Um, I don't know why, but I still felt really hopeful that oh, he might be wrong and I could go. So let's plan the surgery to get them to buy out. They need to go in and cut a little piece of my lung and into that one larger nodule. That was the eight millimeter nodule. Um, they needed to cut a piece, biopsy it and let me know. And I thought, oh, okay, we'll just wait for the surgery because he could be wrong. Um, even though that surgeon looked at my husband and said, my radiologists are 75% always right. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, great. Um, so we scheduled lung surgery for October, 2019. Um, I went up to, we went up there, had the surgery. It actually was, to be honest, harder than the colon <laughs> resection surgery only because it was um, a lot more days in the hospital to recover. They were, they just had to wait until my lungs completely inflated again and like puffed up almost like I kept envisioning a balloon. They just needed those lungs to completely open back up um, before I could leave the hospital. But eventually after, I think it was six or seven days, I finally left the hospital and um, recovered for a week in Rhode Island at my parents' house. And then I um, flew back to Louisville. So um, that is when they told us, yes, this is stage four, your colorectal cancer has metastasized to your lungs. Um, and then the fertility specialist, what I mentioned earlier, the next day at the hospital told me, oh, by the way, <laughs> it's pretty much impossible. You will have lifelong infertility now um, because of the chemo radiation. So it was a heavy week for us. Um, it was a hard one, but we made it back to Louisville and tried to get back into our lives here. And then I um, began chemotherapy for the second time in December of 2019. And this time it was full theory with Avastin. Um, so that has been a long journey from December to May to 2020. I have been, and I actually, my body tolerated the chemotherapy so much better and I made it through all 12 rounds. Um, we did move my treatment to an integrative center called the Block Center for Integrative Treatment and Wellness. So my husband and I dropped um, the last six months 
drove to Chicago every other week for my treatment and then came back. Um, and there's a lot of other, there's a lot of reasons if you want me to get into that, why we, we switched, but, um, I'm very thankful that I've been, I have been benefiting so much better from the treatment center there. Well, you, you look great. And I'm, uh, of course, this is a podcast. They can't see you, but I can. And, 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 I, and I, I think it's really important here to talk just for a second about the importance of feeling free to get a second opinion. I, I know the people at Dana-Farber. Uh, they have an excellent early age onset colorectal cancer clinic where they specialize in a lot of the issues that you brought up. And I think that the fact that your original physician thought about your fertility early really, you know, sets them as an outstanding person because a lot of folks don't understand uh, some of the issues that affect uh, people with underage 50 colon cancer, particularly young families and young folks like you. Can you give a, a word of encouragement? Because it's always hard for patients to step out of the box and look for a second opinion. I think there's always a lot of guilt, like I don't trust my doctor, what's he going to think? My own opinion has always been if if a doctor's uncomfortable with a second opinion, you really need a second opinion. Exactly. No, I, I have certainly been blessed with incredible care team since the beginning of my, of my diagnosis. Um, but I think you have to advocate for yourself. I, that was the, probably the best advice I was given when I was first diagnosed. Um, and that's, so true. I mean, it became more and more true as I continued my journey. You can obviously put a lot of faith and trust into a doctor that is, is handling your life. Um, and of course, when they're phenomenal, a phenomenal team, it's, it's awesome. But, um, but yeah, I was grateful that my oncologist looked at me and said, go get a second opinion because she just wanted, she wanted someone else to agree with her that this is going to be, this is more dangerous than what we thought. And, um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I just, I guess I just try to advise other people in my situation to do the same. Um, I do agree with you. There's a lot of guilt. There's um, it's hard to obviously connect with an oncologist or a team and you are happy and with them and, and how they um, have managed your specific case but then you have you have to keep you have to keep researching you have to keep educating yourself and you have to keep looking out there and being like what else is out there for me what else can I keep what else can be a part of this journey so I can survive so I just I don't know it just comes down to survivorship advocate for yourself and don't just yeah you can't just pretend there isn't more out there for you you can't be blinded by that your mom is a nurse, uh, yes. so she certainly had some information around this. Were there, were there any other people in your family who had cancer that you had sort of dealt and grown up with and knew about this whole process, or, or Not, no one? No one. No one in my family um, has dealt with cancer, um, and specifically colon cancer. Not at all. Um, I did have genetic testing done no connection at all. Um, so to be honest, it was, it was life changing, obviously. And it was a shock, um, to be diagnosed with this cancer at 28 and then to a family who really did not know how to handle cancer. We have never really been impacted by it. Um, 
just in the last few years, my mom's cousin was um, battling lymphoma, but um, so he actually has been a huge part of my journey and giving me advice and encouragement and helping me just as someone that can relate. But, um, but beyond that, not at all, not in, at all in my family history. Well, your siblings have certainly been screened and I know that your parents have been screened as well. And it's a great concept to know that this is a rapidly changing field and that new advances can come up at any time, both in terms of genetics as to the why, and all, but also more importantly for you, the, the how to treat and, and everything else. So those are really great lessons for people. Uh, I have a question. Did the COVID uh, experience impact your treatment? How has that, that, that happened? Tell, tell me how that's had a, a good, positive, or adverse impact on your treatment care. Sure, sure. Um, it actually did not impact my treatment much at all, which I was really grateful for. We, um, my husband and I could still travel to Chicago for the treatment and back. Um, the biggest change was that treatment centers were not allowing visitors to come into the center with you. So that was a little challenging um, because I've, I've, throughout this whole journey, um, the last two years, I've always had my mom or my mother-in-law or my husband or my sisters there in the treatment center with me. So when you're sitting there for seven hours out of the day, um, getting your chemo and your infusions, they're there as caregivers. And I've, so I just got used to that. And I mean, obviously I, I need that support, but um, that was the hardest part was that they could not come anymore. Um, so I just was in the center myself, obviously with my amazing team of nurses, but um, the biggest, that was a change where I had to actually get up and get my own hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> and not have and not have a caregiver do that for me um but but no i was pretty grateful that i am grateful that covid hasn't did not change or stop my treatment at all um because i know it has in other people's cases well you're pretty young there uh meredith uh yeah. and i'm curious about what experiences had you already faced or challenges that you had faced or characteristics that you brought to you from your life translated to help you with your amazing attitude and your amazing approach to this. Tell, tell us, tell us your secret sauce. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know if I have, <laughs> if I have a secret. Um, I do really believe with my dad being in the military that shaped who, who I am and my sisters um, moving every year is not easy. Getting used to a whole new place and um, a whole new school, making new friends. I think that lifestyle shaped me more than I have ever imagined and honestly prepared me for this battle. Um, I think it really made me um, have to adjust to a situation, obviously, a new situation, a new place. And, um, and it made me personable to be able to communicate and talk to other people, make friends, make those connections. Um, obviously, my, the way my parents raised us and instilled in me to be um, a fighter, to never give up. Um, I remember, as I was growing up, if I started a sport, my parents told me, no, that's a commitment you made. You finished the season out. 
And so honestly, I know more and more people as I get older that that wasn't the case for them. Their parents let them give up. And they're and um, I know that's just a small little silly example. But, um, but I look back at that. And I'm like, wow, that really shaped me as a person because I can't just give up on this fight. I have to keep sticking to this commitment. I have to battle this because as I joke to my husband, my five-year plan is don't die. And I, I mean, I know that gets really um, intense, but, um, but it's true. I want to survive this and I feel like I will. And so I, yeah, I owe it to my parents for right, things well, I think they shaped. Well, that's like a combination of flexibility and adjustment and uh, stick to A lot of people would call that grit, which is this uh, description that goes around working so hard on something, even though you may not get rewards on the first day. It's sort of, you're not going to get your cake and eat it too. You got to work for it and fight for it. So, so grit in the army, I suspect is in uh, uh, abundance. So great lessons from the parents. Let's go the other way. <laughs> what, what have you learned from your cancer fight that you're taking back into your family life, your work life? What, what, what has been your greatest lesson or your greatest insight? Oh my gosh. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, oh, not to sound cliche, but just to enjoy life and live in the moment. Um, your perspective certainly does change. Um, you, I think you value friendships and relationships a lot more you know the ones that you really want a part of your life and you know maybe the toxic ones that you don't. Um, but honestly, yeah, it just comes down to everything. I feel like keeps coming back to just um, living in the moment. And obviously I have to do so much with, with being in a cancer journey. I feel it takes such a toll on you physically and even more mentally. So I've done a lot of work with mindfulness and, um, and kind of help from a mental health coach to handle all of this, but that's, it all comes down to positivity and coming back to gratitude and, um, counting your blessings, count, being thankful. And I think that's helped me be more positive, be positive throughout this whole journey and just look forward to time when I have with family, when I can do, when I can travel, do, and just, enjoy those times a lot more. Well, speaking, speaking of family, <clears throat> your family was incredibly important to your journey. Oh, yes. Do you have any words of wisdom for people out there who may be withdrawn because of their new cancer diagnosis or somehow feel, you know, not right about reaching out and asking for help and, and becoming uh, uh, reintegrating, if you will? Yeah, um, I am a huge believer that you cannot handle cancer yourself, not at all. Um, I am so blessed that my parents, my siblings, my in-laws, and my sibling in-laws, um, all of them, oh my gosh, I'm just surrounded by incredible people that make, they're the reason I fight. So um, I'm grateful for that. But to someone that maybe doesn't have that situation, I just advise them to reach out locally. You have, it goes back into advocating for yourself and finding ways to battle this journey. 
But if they can seek out support groups, places that other people can relate to you, that's how you're going to fight this. You can't do it alone. And um, so I hope everyone has family support, but if they don't, I would just reach out. Yeah. To other, to local organizations. Like um, I feel like I have done even because I have incredible family support and love, but I, like I mentioned, Jack and I um, moved to Louisville just ourselves. So we really don't have family actually physically present to give us a hug. Um, it's mostly over the phone. So what I immediately did was um, Jack and I became members of the Gilda's Club. They have incredible support groups, classes, obviously going back into um, working on the, the whole body. So it's a lot of um, amazing art therapy and yoga and mindfulness and just things I've have a new passion for and then um the support groups clearly helped my husband too with being a caregiver um and being able to relate to people in his same situation um i don't know how many how many 28 year old male husbands <laughs> he could um connect with but there's obviously incredible people that have um veterans that have been through this that could help him out um and then i have also found a fam, a cancer family almost at the YMCA, being a part of the Live Strong program. There's just, and then the Colon Cancer Preven Prevention Project has support groups as well, where I can actually sit and meet with um, other survivors or other thrivers that have colon cancer. So it's amazing. I mean, there's so many, wherever you live, there's amazing support and resources. You just have to go and find it. Um, and that's how you're gonna fight this. Now, now you're now. This is something I know nothing about. You're apparently an interior designer, and <laughs> great at what you do. You could come to my house, and it would be a desert of uh, design and fashion. <laughs> but what a great what a great way to go in. And I understand you now have your own company a little bit. Can you tell us about your company and what you're doing, and how uh, yeah. uh, how you can help schlugs like the rest of us out there look better? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, well, I have always had a passion for design and decor. Um, I went to college and, and did get my degree in interior design. And so I was, I think I mentioned to you, I was absolutely loving my career in design when, um, when I was diagnosed with cancer. I, I worked for several months through my treatment and really tried to battle, balance both um, until the end of, and about 2019 is when I had given it so many months and I was noticing, wow, I am so overwhelmed. I cannot give so much of my energy to my work and then give, give my extra energy to this can to fighting this cancer. So that's when I resigned from my job, um, to really give cancer my full attention. I needed to prioritize my health and um, make, cancer in my full-time job. So I did for a few months. Um, and then a close friend of my, mine and my husband's, um, he owns a real estate company and he and he and I linked together and decided to start an organizing company. And, um, we did a little bit of home state. Uh, we do a little bit of home staging and organization. Um, and so that's what we decided to kind of start up on our own. Um, so he's my, he's my business partner and it's called, um, it's an organizing company called Organized Home. 
And so it's, it was definitely something that gave me more flexibility um, in my schedule. So when I did have to proceed with treatment, I could still balance appointments and do something that I loved and was passionate about and, and had a focus. So I was enjoying that for the last several months. Um, unfortunately, I've put the company on hold for now because I am jumping right back into treatment, um, which I know I haven't mentioned yet. So I have a little bit more of my journey to explain, but, um, but yes, I go to treatment now every other week. So it's a little challenging to also balance a, a company um, in a business and, and um, clients, but but you'll, you be know, back. I, you'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. The company's still standing and I do still do a little bit of organizing help for people here and there. And then any um, design questions some people have too, I still do some con consulting there, but, um, but it's just much smaller scale for now. Well, that's great. Well, I hope people will be able to look out and find your organization. And when, uh, when you're through your journey and you're on the right path, you can begin to reach out. Maybe there's a role for, organized homes in the, the life of cancer patients. Maybe there's a twist in there from some of the issues that you've learned about recovering from your uh, surgeries and your, your chemo and all the other things. Uh, I'm sure there's a bright future there. Well, th thank you, Whitney. Yeah, I, I hope so. I definitely want to get back into doing what I love and having um, something, something, a purpose in my day. But, um, but obviously, colon cancer is a huge impact very impactful in my life now. And so um, I hope to keep spreading awareness for that as well and make that a little bit of a, a side gig as well. <laughs> right, and you've, done a, and you've done a great job. She was our keynote speaker at our uh, Bottoms Up Bash this year, did a wonderful job. Everybody was uh, just enthralled with your story and your positiveness. So if you had to give someone who's facing what you faced, so a piece of advice, if you had to really give them the one, the, the, the one word, what would, you, what would you tell them about how to pursue the successful cancer fight that you've been pursuing? Because clearly you've been not only a fighter, but a warrior. You've turned your adversity into advocacy and action. Uh, tell, tell, us, tell us what would you tell that person? How would you try to reach out to them? Oh my gosh. Um, I, so many things come through my mind. I feel like I have been given so many tools throughout the last two years that I could talk for an hour about. Um, but narrowing it down, I feel like I would tell someone um, the unknowns of this journey are so challenging. Um, Cancer sucks. It really does. Um, but what I found helpful to me is not dwelling in it. Um, choosing, seriously, choosing life over cancer every single day. Um, I think that's how it's helped me stay positive is not stopping life, not letting cancer hold me hostage. Um, it tries. It really does. It, li it limits so much in your life. But if you can, you hear, you're going to get good and bad news all the time. Um, so if you can obviously let yourself cry 
and um, break down, but then just pick, you have to pick yourself back up and keep pushing. And I know that a lot of people have told me that and I was just like, okay, whatever. But, um, but as I've been going through this journey, that's literally what I have to do. You have to, you have no other choice. So um, again, yeah, break down, but don't dwell in that moment. Stand back up, put your boxing gloves back on and um, keep pushing through. Because I think if you do, everything will be okay. And um, your family and your friends will have you here much longer. Now, you had not heard anything about colon cancer in your 20s. What's your perspective now about how the organizations around cancer prevention can better reach younger people with uh, information? Because again, we know this is a rising trend in America. Uh, mm -hmm. People in their 20s, certainly in their 30s, and especially in their 40s. How would you as a, I don't know, are you a millennial or what are you? Uh, I guess I you am. Know, <laughs> you a millennial? <laughs> I am. I'm a, I'm I'm a sad boomer, but... Uh, what do you think about how we can better reach out and begin to educate folks? Because it's certainly less common in younger folks, but, but it's very impactful and it's certainly going up. Any thoughts about communicating that more effectively uh, for the folks out there who are in advocacy world trying to, trying to shape that message? I personally think social media, um, I think that's the best way to just get it in front of people's faces, whether they wanted it or not. Um, I know, I have tried to share my story with, with a lot of people. A lot, I'll, I'll get, a, I'll have a scan and I'll get so many friends texting me, how was your skin? What's your skin? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming to repeat, repeatedly just text people. Um, so a lot of times if I do have a big update about something, um, I, th I, I just type it up, put it on Facebook or Instagram. And I can't tell you how many people have messaged me thanking me for that, telling me how inspiring it is. Um, and that was just me kind of throwing it in people's faces, whether they wanted to read it or not. But a lot of people now are a little more aware of colon cancer and they've reached out to me to tell me, hey, because of your story, um, I went and had a colonoscopy and, and I had polyps removed. Or, hey, because of your story, I'm reaching out to you because I want, I want help. My grandfather was just diagnosed with colon cancer or things like that. And I'm just like, okay. So to me, I think social media is the biggest way to reach a lot of other people in their, in my, that are my age. Um, and then I do think there's a lack of education with um, nutrition and getting that out. So I'm still trying to figure out a way, how can more people be educated to know Stop eating bacon and hot dogs every day <laughs> because that leads to colon cancer. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if that's too too far, but um, but no, I I don't know how to get that across where people um, need to know like processed food. You know, just be careful how much you're consuming. But um, but as of making them more aware of colon cancer and that hey you could do it at home screen. You need to get a colonoscopy. If you're having these symptoms, I do think people are, it's registering people's minds when they see it um, on the computer and on social media sites. Well, social media is certainly the, the, the tag with the, the young guys and everything else, but I do want to go ahead and give a plug. You're actually going to be a star in a traditional media documentary that's coming out uh, on KET yeah. this summer. Uh, called uh, Preventing a Killer in the Bluegrass, where we 
talked to three young people who've uh, faced and are fighting colorectal cancer. Do you want to talk about how that experience uh, was in terms of being taped and being able to really tell your story to the big screen? Yeah, um, it was very different. I've never been a part of something like that, um, but it was really fun. Um, the film team are awesome, incredible people that are just so sweet. And, um, and, but it was, it was different having a film crew with cameras um, and lighting come into my home, trying to figure out what place best in the house to sit and interview myself and my husband. And then they did interview my mom as well once when she was in town. Um, but um, so yeah, different experience, but, but um, definitely interesting and, and neat to kind of, to be able to have my story documented that way. And I missed this, but I'm glad you brought it up. But I do think this is the documentary is going to be an incredible way to get out to people because um, everyone can watch it now on TV. And if it could, oh my gosh, if, it, if anything, any colon cancer documentary or information could even just be like on Netflix, I feel like everyone would know more about it. But um, TV is definitely a great resource as well. But yeah, no, it was fun. They came and interviewed a few different times um, and and just captured Jack and I a little bit in our own element and a little bit more about our lives um, pre-cancer and obviously um, now during with cancer, a part of our lives too. Well, I want to thank the Army brat and the little boy the Navy, that your mom... The Navy brat. And... <laughs> <laughs> and the little boy that your mom described with your haircut, you were always the boy as a girl. Uh, Meredith Pothas for joining us today on Cancer Fight and sharing your story. I know that your path and your enthusiasm and your passion is going to inspire a lot of people. And you've given a lot of great tips for people on how to be successful in their own cancer fight. And I'm wishing you well and praying for you and yours. Any last words for the folks in the audience? If you were going to give them a suggestion and finish this sentence, in order to have a successful cancer fight, you need to... Keep enjoying life, seriously. Don't put your life on pause to have to battle cancer, do both. Um, one of, and one of the ladies that have been very prominent in my cancer journey, she said her favorite quote, Right when I was diagnosed, she sent me a little magnet and it said, um, if you're going through hell, keep going by church, by, um, oh my gosh, Winston Churchill. So I love saying that to people too. And I have it on my fridge and I look at it every day because it's true. This is hell, but um, got to push through. Meredith, thank you so much uh, for taking time. Thank you so much for talking with me and allowing me to share my story. I, I really do hope it benefits others um, in whatever way they need it too. Great. Go out and have a great day with that crazy dog of yours. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening to Cancer Fight. Meredith Podcast, have a great day. Thank you, you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for being with us today on Cancer Fight. Keep up with our work, follow Colon Cancer Prevention Project on all major social media platforms and visit our website, kickingbutt.org. Special thanks to our producer, Keaton Jones, and our director, Maggie Cunningham. 
Until next time, fight on, cancer warriors. <laughs>